Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore of the Old World, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host Christopher Crowlin Allen. Evening all. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Absolutely nothing. And my dear brother Darren. Listen, I know what I'm fucking doing with these stories, alright? <laughs> Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. 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 Are you a little bitter, Darren? A little? <laughs> he's, he's a lot bitter. No, I, I, I'm not bitter. I just kind of resigned to the fact that no one ever thinks I know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so needless to say, we've had a little bit of feedback, and <laughs> Dar's not a fan. But that's okay. That's, that's what this is about. Not everyone's going to love it, Dar. Not everyone's going to love it. Ben, it turns out everything Darren's been telling us is absolute bumwash. It's just nonsense. <laughs> there is, there's no such thing as Warhammer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm laughing, but these tears are real. <laughs> is this episode i think to quote you earlier dar is this episode gonna blow our minds who the fuck knows now <laughs> uh, i'm gonna be asking him if his resource is reliable throughout the whole thing yeah. <laughs> really really is that really what happened <laughs> no no it's only been 38 years of my life that's fine you just work yeah. away <laughs> <laughs> what a waste well i'll be honest so like you 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 proper juiced me up earlier when i got that message i was like oh this is gonna be a bit like it, it usually does blow my mind but you've never said that before recording so yeah if by the end of this i don't shit my pants in excitement i'm gonna be disappointed and that is not something i expected to say to <laughs> <laughs> also it just you don't know if it was a typo i was inviting you to blow my mime ah. <laughs> <laughs> right crowley you know what time it is big guy hello reichland it's time for sarat's recap Yay! and this recap i have done it in the form of a limerick are you ready? Oh, God. <laughs> this is great. Oh, hold, on, let me get, hold on, let me get comfortable. Okay, go. Strap yourselves in. Okay. There was once a vampire named Conrad who succeeded his vampire dad. <laughs> <laughs> let me try again. Let me try again. <laughs> Hilariously unprofessional. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> there was once a vampire named Conrad. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna do it properly this time. Third time's the charm. Here we go. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I don't know why I found it so funny. It wasn't funny earlier. Right, here we go. There was once a vampire named Conrad who succeeded his vampire dad Vlad. <laughs> oh dear. He had ambitions to rule with his army of ghouls but it was defeated by the dwarf known as Gruffbad. Nice. Done. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Yay! Yeah. Uh, 
That is amazing. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> I told you it's a limerick, man. Wow. That's, that's, that's all I've got. I mean, that summed it up, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that really did sum it up. Some other stuff happened in the middle as well. But Yeah, anyway. he kind of came along and he was like, you know, massively misunderstood. And, yes. You know, he, he expressed that trauma through, you know, violent acts. We've all been there. Yeah. He was bullied by cats as a youngster. People yep. didn't realize, yeah, yeah. you know, yep. his hatred of cats was deep-rooted. <laughs> <laughs> was that Marcel? <laughs> so I was just found a picture of a mime and showed us on camera. That They're almost cool. as disturbing as clowns, no? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, they're, they're stealth clowns. <laughs> no wonder that old adage exists. You know, if a tree falls in a forest and kills a mime, does anyone care? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, circling back to the recap, yeah, I really feel uh, empowered and affirmed by the fact you could sum up two hours worth of work in one <laughs> rhyme. It, it hasn't made me at all th- rethink my choices. <laughs> Next episode's recap will be in a haiku. <laughs> Excellent. I was thinking the other day about our last episode and the fact that you mm. said that stakes through the heart don't kill vampires. Yeah, they paralyze them. That's crazy. Is that the case with like other IPs as well, or is that Warhammer specific? No, I, I think the trend started... Like explicitly started with a, a role playing game called Vampire the Masquerade. It may have been in other books before then. Now I'm just qualifying every fucking sentence that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> You've got lawyers behind you taking minutes. Do you know what? No, I'm going to go the other way. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> End of conversation. <laughs> every question he's just going to answer with no comment. <laughs> I first came across that topic in, or that kind of thing, in Vampire the Masquerade, God, what, 30 years ago? Wow, right, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of seeped through into kind of popular culture now that it a stake through the heart will only paralyze a vampire. You need to do either burn it or cut its head off. Okay, wow. what about if you break its back? Does that also paralyze it? <laughs> What is this, a wrestling match, Chris? Only, <laughs> what kind of fucking wrestling matches are you watching? Uh, only the Rune of Doom! The Rune of Doom! <laughs> Just trying to figure out how like breaking a vampire's back is an option in combat. Like, it's not really something that you would advise going in, is it? I'm just asking, like, you know, like, why would you choose to specifically do that, you know, above, I don't know, all the other choices? I don't know, forget about it. We're thinking too much about this. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. No, vampires can regenerate. They have regenerative powers, so they can knit their bones back together. Not literally, yeah. but they... <laughs> Sewing circle. They were knit needles. <laughs> Stitch and bitch. <laughs> Stitch and bitch. <laughs> so, as Chris alluded to with his uh, <clears throat> limerick, <laughs> we left last episode with the death of Conrad by uh, Dwarf Lord. And really the collapse of the political and power systems within Sylvania, meaning that there were no vampire counts kind of active. There was no count of Sylvania active. Um, There were, of course, vampire noble families within Sylvania and in other places, but were focused on the von Karsteins. 
If you'll recall, when Conrad came to power, or as he came to power, there were five children, five kind of sired children by Vlad. Oh, yeah. You'll recall that one of them was staked in their which didn't kill him. Uh, sleep, which didn't kill him, and then killed. And then he was killed. <laughs> and the only reason he was able to find him is that they'd sent in the stealth scout mimes who uh, just <laughs> were pointing, gesturing, trapped by walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's seven millimeters big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so Peter, Peter von Karstein was uh, killed by one of the Van Halls. For having a shit name. For having a shit name, but also the vampire hunter was trying to cleanse the taint Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to start. Yeah, he was trying to cleanse his taint by killing the vampire. The Van Halls, uh, of course, are descended from the Van Hell, who was a powerful necromancer. And so they were, as I said, clearing their name. Oh, That's yeah. just so much repetition now. <laughs> but it was after this death that one of the other vampires, one of their sons, fled. Manfred von Karstein. He man fled. He fled, he man fled, and I'm really trying hard not to laugh at that because that was really good. <laughs> but he, he fled the scene, allowing Conrad to take power. What really wasn't known at the time was that Manfred had actually organized for the witch hunter to find Peter because oh. Manfred <gasps> had his eyes on the prize. Gasp. Gasp. Nagasp. Nagasp. He was the... <laughs> he was the the firstborn kind of or first sired vampire of Vlad when he was still Vashnesh. So Manfred became a vampire before Vashnesh became Vlad von Karstein. Wow. wow. He was the OG. Yeah, he was traveling with his vampire dad. Amazing. And then kind of assisted with the taking over of Sylvania. And as Vlad ramped up his ambitions and powers to rule over the old world uh, as is in uh, Warhammer as part of the preparations for the the first vampire war uh, which we discussed a few episodes ago Manfred was sent to the empire city of Nome where he wiped out most of the nobility just slaughtered them the uh, idea being if you cut the head from the snake the body will wither you'll just paralyze it yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you kill anything? Christ. <laughs> if you cut the steak off the head while it's napping, it won't do shit. <laughs> I tell you what, if you feed me nothing but steak, you will paralyze me. <laughs> I will go into a coma. Yeah, yeah. So you, you said when Vlad died, there was like a kind of, you know, what's the word? Vying for power? They were kind of battling for power, yeah. trying to figure out who was going to take his place. Is there no hierarchy involved in the order in which they were turned? You know, would Manfred not have been the eldest, so to speak? Yeah, but the issue is... Vampires uh, don't give a shit. <laughs> they're much like honey badgers. <laughs> they really don't think about succession because they're functionally immortal. Right, okay. So Vlad had, if you remember, Vlad with his magic ring, not a euphemism, oh, yeah. hadn't factored in that he might be killed, ever. True. Or rather, he hadn't factored in that he could not recover from any physical death. Right. 
I was going to say, like, you're on a campaign to rule the world, going up against the mightiest armies all over the globe, and you think, I'm not going to die. That's a bit of an oversight. Or, I'm not going to come back from dying, which he did many, many times. Yeah, but if you'll Mm. recall, he was uh, completely harpooned with (laughs) bolts and arrows. He had his head taken clean off by a cannonball, tromboned, you know, the worst of the worst. And he came back from it, sometimes within hours. Mm. He was able to get back up. It's like um, one of those events at like a school fate. Try to kill Vlad. Like, you can choose any weapon you like. What's that little rosemary? Yes, you can use the axe. I was wondering where you were going with that. I thought you were going to say, guess how many Vlad's in the jar? (laughs) (laughs) Also a great school fate game. I hope listeners really appreciate that little insight to uh, the schools that Chris went to. Yeah, so they, yes, there was a pool of successors, but none were kind of identified. None were anointed by uh, Dad Vlad or Vlad Dad, whichever is uh, funnier. (laughs) 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 What you're left with is a situation where you have five brothers effectively brothers all vampires all functionally immortal some have skill at arms some have skill at politics others have skill at magic no one can take out the other four it's just not possible Mm. but after taking the nobility of Nuln, absolutely wiping them out for manfred that was the last straw for him he had to come out of vlad's shadow And so he started to formulate plans within plans Mm. that would allow him to not only be free, but also to take over as the uh, von Karstein Count of Sylvania, where he would be the vampire count. So, yeah, in two episodes ago, when describing the story of Vlad, we mentioned that Felix Mann was hired to steal the ring. And that was inspired by a vision from Sigmar that the Grand Theogenist Wilhelm III received. That wasn't from Sigmar. That was from Manfred. (gasps) Manfred put the idea into the Grand Theogenist's head. He inceptioned, or vampceptioned, (laughs) the Grand Theogenist letting him know that this ring not only exists, but is crucial to Vlad's power. So did the other vampires, other than Manfred, know about the ring? Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they, it was just kind of generally known that he had this banging ring. This is one of the original ten vampires. You're talking about, you know, Vashnesh will kick everyone's ass. So implanting that idea into the Grand Theogenist, he also steered him towards getting the greatest thief in the world. So he pointed the Grand Theogenist towards Felix Mann and engineered the situation where Felix would be captured and offered the deal to go out and steal this ring and he would get his freedom. Manfred was also the one who masked Felix Mann from all the undead forces. Uh. He effectively made Felix Mann a ghost. So none of the undead could sense him when he was walking through their lines. This is up to and including all the other vampires who were in the tent with Vlad. Manfred was there and was awake. Uh. He was the one making sure that everyone else was asleep and couldn't get to 
Son of a bitch, Darren. <laughs> it wasn't nap time at all, yo. <laughs> <laughs> they had been vamp hypnolled. <laughs> no. Nice. Uh, Did Felix Mann know he was disguised as vampire camoed, as it were? Or was he unaware? Did he just think, I'm fucking great at this, I should be a professional thief or something? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. So as Felix got in and stole the ring, Manfred, as I said, Manfred was awake and had made sure that not only could he get in and get the ring, but also get out. So Felix successfully got back into Altdorf. Obviously, now when um, when Vlad awakens to discover his ring is gone, as any of us would be incensed. Mm. I would definitely light some incense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and ultimately paid the price when Wilhelm the Third, the Grand Theogenist, uh, who organised the deal with with Felix, died impaling Vlad onto the spikes at the bottom of the. I beg your pardon, at the at the foot of the city walls, thus removing Vlad from the picture completely, followed shortly after by Isabella, who took her own life, or took her own unlife. I'm not sure exactly how you would phrase that. Oh, but then Wilhelm died on top of that as well. Uh, he, di- he died at that site, impaling. He himself was impaled on the stake that Vlad was impaled upon. And then the sunlight took care of the rest. So when you said that, you know, after Felix Mann, when you told us the story originally, you said that Felix Mann took the ring and then he escaped and he just disappeared off into the world. That was, in fact, a cunning ruse. He didn't disappear off into the world. He disappeared back into Aldorf. No, no and yes. He's back into Aldorf. Now, as Vlad's army is collapsing after the death of their general and the kind of all his lieutenants are fleeing, the forces of the empire surge forward and capture the tent that had all of the vampires in it together with all the vampiric lore. So they're able to get hold of books of Nagash <gasps> and the Liber Necris, Liber Necris and the Liber Mortis. And they're able to drag these... Not the Liber Mortis... The necro- <laughs> these necromantic tomes and secure them in the temple of Sigmar. However, even after the undead threat is pushed away, Felix is still alive with the ring in Altdorf, but he's being pursued by a shadow. Everywhere he looks, there's this kind of, you know, shadowed figure. I know I'm doing it like a sock puppet <laughs> behind me, but there is a shadowy figure. Uh, that is freaky. <laughs> I mean we're all being followed by our shadow he sounds a bit paranoid to me (laughs) (laughs) you won't stop following me man yeah it's normal does your your shadow look like a sock puppet crowl (laughs) 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 actually yeah it does yours looks just like a sock puppet it does but while Felix is kind of hiding and running and uh, trying to evade this ethereal threat he comes to realise that it's his own he shadow. He made a personal... Yeah, it's his own shadow. It's actually, it was his cape. <laughs> <laughs> he comes to realize that he made a verbal agreement with Wilhelm III, the Grand Theogenist, 
who is now dead. No one can vouch oh, shit, for Felix yeah. Mann and give him his pardon and give him the treasure he deserves for this, you know, insanely brave act. He wasn't to know that he was being magically protected, but, yeah, you yeah. know. So Felix becomes so incensed and angry and other words that <laughs> he's unable to get his deal, what's due to him that he breaks into the Temple of Sigmar and steals one of the books. Now, this is where it becomes a bit tricky. He steals some or one of the books, depending on the sources. Murky waters. The books of Nagash and disappears into Altdorf, still pursued by the Shadow, who, no one will be surprised at this stage, turns out to be Manfred von Karstein, who pins him down, opens up both his wrists, possibly amputating his hands and steals both the ring and the book or books and gets the fuck out of Dodge. Wow. Felix Mann is left alive, but, you know, very difficult to steal things with stumps. Not impossible. Unarmed Shit. and dangerous. <laughs> so sorry, he, he, he slit, did you say he slit his wrists and then he cut his hands off? He slit his wrists so, so powerfully that the text is a bit, um, how would you just go? It's, it's a bit ambiguous as to whether he just opens up his veins to let him bleed out or severs both his hands. Right. Okay. Either yeah. way, ouchie, ouch. Yeah. Wow. Ouchie, ouchie. And then Manfred, Manfred flees. He manfleds. Yes. <laughs> Again. We are then transferred a hundred years where the. Various brothers have been vying for power and control over Sylvania and, and the, the kind of title of Vampire Count. And the brothers start killing each other or their murder is orchestrated, as was poor Peter by Manfred. But it's after the death of Peter that Manfred decides he's going to back off. So he completely disappears. I think I mentioned that last episode. Manfred disappears uh, and leaves Sylvania to Conrad. Now, where he disappears to is he goes down to the land of the dead. He goes down to Nehekara, where using the the uh, necromantic books he has, he unlocks more knowledge, more power, and is able to come to some kind of arrangement of knowledge transfer with the few handful of tomb kings that would have anything to do with them. Uh, most of the others tried to kill him on sight because obviously a lot of bad blood between vampires and tomb kings, pun absolutely intended. <laughs> there, That's the wet dead and the dry dead then. Is that right? Uh, the wet dead and the dry dead, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, so that's the manoeuvring behind the past two episodes that uh, Manfred von Karstein has been doing. So he set the stage perfectly for his own success. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Manfred, cunning, cunning, cunning. I'd like to see where this story goes. But we don't have time. I'm sorry, guys. Tune in next. <laughs> no, 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 wait, Chris. I have an agreement wait, in wait, place. Wait, 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 wait. I am planning on shitting my pants by the end of this. Let me get my spare pants. Hold on. Okay, I have my pants. Let's go. So after Conrad's death, you recall the gruff bad and uh, killed him with a song or a limerick. I can't remember. Manfred becomes the de facto ruler of Sylvania, and he returns to the his country. Uh, to take the reins of power. So for the next 10 years, all he does 
is consolidate his own power within the uh, within the nobility of Sylvania, and he does that by going around uh, giving gifts, threats, tromboning. I think that that's a, a thing we say a lot. Mm-hmm. But when he takes over control of uh, Drakenhof Castle, the seat of power, he has access to you know the world's largest repository of necromantic knowledge and tomes. How did Manfred know that Conrad had died? Like, did he? Does he have like spies, or did he just? Was it because they're related and it's that bloodline thing? He just knew that he's like, oh, I can hear it on the von Karstein airwaves. <laughs> Scrytech green tooth, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he's such a powerful necromancer, uh, Manfred von Karstein, that he's able to have spirits at his beck and call to go out and see and scout around and relay information back and forth between him and his allies. It's not like he cut ties completely with Sylvania. He has allies within that realm that he's able to... Uh, relay information back and forth uh, with to be able to get his plans and going. So he very much hit the ground running. So where Conrad, for instance, reigned with uh, fear and terror and threats, Manfred used his the, bunnies, spellcasting <laughs> bunnies, his spellcasting powers, spellcasting bunnies, true. <laughs> 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 Go free, my bunnies! <laughs> oh, His elite regiments of undead suppository dispensary <laughs> nurses. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, Manfred used all of the kind of wiles and power of nobility, so ranging from flattery to outright threats, assassinations, and uh, teabagging. <laughs> and teabagging and teabagging and teabagging <laughs> but he also during those 10 years he went around Sylvania to all the areas where big battles had been fought kind of through the through the thousands of years in that area before it was Sylvania itself and he raised every body that he could find every space body right. so that he could have the largest undead army that had ever walked across the face of the empire, which he was able to do. He had entire regiments of uh, whites, these elite skeletal troops. He had hordes of zombies together with skeletal regiments and the the winged troops and uh, skeletal war machines. And again, living troops. One must remember at all times there are humans living Perhaps not thriving, but living within (laughs) Sylvania, because it is still an imperial province. So eventually, Manfred decides he's uh, he's bided his time long enough. He's got his huge armies. He's ready to go uh, and crosses over the borders of Sylvania in the depths of winter. So very important that summer is usually spring and summer are usually the warring seasons that's when uh, troops march they're able to move that's when the zombies are most limber isn't it mm. yeah mm. <laughs> yeah because like skeletons yeah. get really bad arthritis during cold <laughs> uh, yeah i've got nothing I've, I've got nothing me neither i've got nothing to yeah. come back at i moment. had nothing before yeah. i even yeah. said that's that. great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah he 
starts out uh, his campaign season in the depth of winter because most people, most living people, are locked away warm in their homes. They don't really raise armies during the winter. But because all of his troops, or the vast majority of his troops, are undead, they're able to move with no kind of logistical support. They don't, they don't complain much, do they? <laughs> no. Imagine if they have like just one zombie who's been empowered to have all the complaints put in them, <laughs> yeah. and they just kind of trail behind the army, bitching about this condition. It's like, it's like an undead workers' union representative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To say that the Empire was unprepared for this uh, attack would be an understatement. Several kind of hastily formed armies went out to meet Manfred's uh, vast legion, and they were just mulched. They're just the, the, the undead didn't even break a stride. They just marched straight through. Not only did, not only did Manfred have an array, a cabal of necromancers, as had most of his forebears, but he also was one of the greatest wizards of his time and is arguably, in present day, quotes Warhammer, one of the most powerful magic users uh, wow. in, the, in, the, in the game. Was he a wizard before, or was he studying magic before he was turned? Was he a wizard of some form before Vashemesh turned him? I think so. Uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but logically, with all the other bloodlines and all the other stories out there, uh, necromancers, t- if if you embrace a magic user, they tend to lose the capacity to kind of manage any of the great winds of magic, mm. but they can handle the kind of disjointed, out of ratio wind of dar, the wind of darkness obviously with training, but it's a corruptive power. If you remember, the Necrarch bloodline looks like kind of very virile zombies. Right. Because their body is so full of this, the the Black Wind of Dar. The, um, oh, I just belched. I apologize. That was the <laughs> that was, belch of Dar. That was the um, <laughs> black, it actually looked like Black Wind. <laughs> <laughs> that was, in fact, the curry chicken belch of Dar, yeah. <laughs> but of course, as Manfred's army is snow plowing through uh, all of these other uh, armies, he's then raising their bodies. He's raising their forces to join his force. And this really became the, uh, the kind of idea of the, uh, the Winter War of 2132. That's the, the kind of area it happened. So 400 years before kind of present day Warhammer, as was. Of course, stories of this horrific legion bow waved out in front of them, so you ended up having entire villages fleeing into the depths of winter rather than facing the dead. They unfortunately all froze to death. They chose the kind of voluntary death rather than stabby stabby death, and in the end ended up serving uh, Manfred's legions, anyway, as icicles, popsicles, as as icicles, <laughs> as light refreshment. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to consume their blood, though, would they? They'd be like frozen. But yeah, like you say, icicles, popsicles. Yeah, but just... they would take they would take little yeah. bits of the blood and they would drop it in their their drink, wouldn't they? Just to... and their drink is yeah, blood, of course they would. Obviously. Sorry, excuse me, stupid me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But all the, all they'd really do is they dig a big kind of pit 
throw a load of zombies in, set them on fire, wait for them to kind of bubble up and stew and reduce, and then have like a frozen human fondue. <laughs> Is that how many zombies they had? They could just literally like... It's like someone's got so much money. <laughs> just like, let's have a money fire. <laughs> And that is how the battered chalk ice came about. Is that true? Yeah. 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 I've learned something today, Darren, at least. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm joking. I'm joking. Hello, sir. Welcome to Blings of Brackland, the finest jewelers in all Sylvania. Specialists in sourcing the very rarest of gems, diamonds, and precious stones across the old world. Yes, yes, yes. I know who you are and what it is you do. It is the very reason I am here. And I assume you know who I am. Uh, Why, of course, Your Unholiness. You are the Count of Sylvania, undisputed ruler of these lands, and, dare I add, eternally wise Vlad von Karstein. That is right, mortal. And I have chosen you and your pitiful shop to help me with my latest and most urgent quest. Uh, 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 Of course, my everlasting lord. Whatever it is you need, Quincy Bling is here to serve your every requirement. It's my wife. It's her birthday. Oh, uh, the majestic Isabella von Drac. Why... It's no secret she has sublime taste in all things that glisten and sparkle. If I may say so, your indebtedness, you are a lucky man. She is quite the ravishing bit of crumbit, a fitting queen for an unquestionably almighty king such as yourself. Yes, well, ravishing she may be, but her sublime taste in all things that sparkle, as you put it, it's costing me and all of Sylvania every ounce of gold we have. She is, how you say, high maintenance? Ah, say no more, your dreadfulness. I know exactly how you feel. My dear wife's appetite for fine silk attire is making my own finances threadbare? (laughs) 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 Yes, (laughs) I did a fight, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So, Quincy, show me. What rings you can offer for my undying queen of the undead? Well, my master, it seems fortune shines on us today, as I have just taken delivery of a variety of the finest, most dazzling finger garments in recent years. Please, take a look at these most beguiling beauties. This, my lord, is Alario's ring. An elvish diamond solitaire bound into a grommel band said to be forged by the elven gods themselves. Surely, a fitting piece of bling for her majesticness? Ugh, I hate elves. What else do you have? Ah, uh, of course, how mortally stupid of me. Then how about this? From the mysterious lands of Cathay, this dazzling single-cut jade stone surrounded with the highest-grade opals to be found anywhere mounted upon a shimmering silver ring, mine No from- silver! Oh, uh, forgive me. I- I'm so foolish. I-, I should have known. Yes, silver is not fitting for such a merciful and benevolent countess such as Lady Isabella. I'll, I'll put it in the bargain basket out the back right away. Yes, one, one moment. And what is this ring? Uh, 
The Ring of Resurrection. This was not meant to be on display just yet, Your Highness. It's uh, not past our quality control or authenticity checks, although I have it on good authority. It is the real deal. Let me just take that and put it in our story. No! This ring, it speaks to me. Why do they call it the Ring of Resurrection? Well, it blesses its bearer with the power to resurrect, my lord. If you were to be slain, the ring would bring you back to your full virile self. Here, let me demonstrate. I'll just pop the ring on. Please, your dastardliness, strike me down and don't hold back. Don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> um, are you okay? You see? As if you'd never killed me at all. Although that was still quite painful. Hmm, very interesting. It seems legit, but just to be sure. Wait, wait, please, w one moment. Oh, <laughs> it's just as painful the second time. But as you can see, the ring is authentic. Indeed. So, your darkness, do you think the Lady Isabella would approve? Lady who? Your wife, my lord. Ah, ah, yes, a magical ring of resurrection for my darling wife. Okay, I'll take it. But just in case, I'll also be taking the silver ring from Cathay as a backup gift. Uh, but, my grace, I thought silver didn't mix well with... Mix well with what? Uh, never mind, I'll, I'll, I'll have these items boxed and ready for you momentarily. And Quincy? Yes, your unspeakableness? I was never here. Do you understand? Uh, of course, Lord von Karstein. The gift will be a delightful surprise, I'm sure. No one shall ever know you were here. Oh, I know they won't. <laughs> oh, how awkward. Uh, I hadn't removed the Ring of Resurrection yet. Just give the damn ring. Yes, very well. Money off to spend on my wife. Ultimately, obviously, Manfred's army had followed that great tradition of heading, what direction is that, northwest and following the River Reich and kind of snowplowing everything that was there. Uh, and he arrived at the uh, walls of Altdorf expecting little to no resistance because it was the depths of winter. There were, he had dispatched several kind of fairly significant but hastily assembled armies and he'd just been mincing uh, villages left, right, and center on the way. So the people that had made it to Altdorf were already beginning to eat into their ration resources, the kind of food stores within the city. So he was prepared just to lay siege and starve the capital of the empire to death. It really... He was in a much better position than Vlad was, and certainly better than Conrad was, because he had planned this for so long and had timed it perfectly. Unfortunately, as he was getting ready to not only be the vampire count, but the vampire emperor of the old world, uh, after which he would kind of 
go through all the other uh, human realms and get them to join. By get them to join, I mean conquer them and stab them and then make the fondue thing uh, happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, <I> think so. <laughs> zombie fondue. Zombie. That'd be a great restaurant, actually. A great themed restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It's brought out in a skull. <laughs> Unf- unfortunately, because of the previous two vampire wars, the academics and nobility and the go-getters, the fighters, the shakers, the movers, and other things. <laughs> the candlestick makers? <laughs> candlestick makers. Maybe a butcher. Who knows? <laughs> Researched into the nature of vampirism, the dangers and capacities of necromantic magic and how these things are uh, how these things are represented in all the tomes that were captured after the uh, destruction of Vlad von Karstein the battlements were largely empty of Altdorf so Vlad just kind of stood there uh, with his vast legion behind him hello Vlad hello <laughs> Sorry, Manfred, you're right to correct me. Oof. I'm wrong. I'm always wrong, Chris. We know this. They... <laughs> <laughs> when the new Grand Theogenist, Kurt III. Kurt, great name for a Grand Theogenist. I awesome. bet he was blonde and had long moppy hair that went over his eye. He was always like that. <laughs> flicking it back all the time. What's his name? Kurt. Kurt. Kurt III. Yeah. I'm Kurt, yeah. the new Grand Theogenist. <laughs> Hunky yeah. and dashing and... He didn't, he didn't have to do that because he had a cap on backwards. He didn't have to sweep his yeah. hair out of his face. <laughs> he wasn't a douchebag. He was a jock. <laughs> he was a fucking surfer, dude. He might have been. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, man. I'm Kurt. I'm the great theogenist, man. Hey, man. Don't bring that undead stuff in here, dude. Yeah, you man. You got anything like... to smoke? <laughs> Did you bring any biscuits? Oh, I'm so hungry. You got any fish tacos? <laughs> fish got any zombie tacos? tacos? Yummy. Zombie <laughs> tacos. Take that fondue shit out of here, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, dude, don't want any of that fondue. Fond don't. Fond nice. don't. Let me just say, with all honesty, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Solid fond, eight and a half out of ten. Thank you. <laughs> Kurt the third. Mounts the battlements. That is to say, he stood on the battlements. Um, <laughs> his colleagues are like, Kurt, not now. <laughs> this He's is straddling Not it. the place for that. <laughs> Dry humping it. <laughs> While looking Manfred in the eyes. Like, who made this guy the Grand Theogenist? <laughs> <laughs> so... Standing astride his majestic iron surfboard, which had been put on top yes. of the battlements. Amazing. <laughs> Striking a pose, he reads from the Liber, uh, the Liber Mortis, the great book of death, the great book of the dead. And he begins to recite in a way that you would suspect a surfer would s- recite Hamlet. He recites <laughs> the, uh, the great spell of unbinding. Really badly. <laughs> really badly. And as Manfred kind of hears this, he realizes what's going to happen next. His army just completely starts to fall apart. 
bodies just drop down as the, I think we described it in a Chunks of Dar episode, the Octopus of Dar. Oh, yeah, The yeah. various octopi of Dar are evaporated. Wow. Um, their magic is reduced and the animating power controlling all the undead begins just simply to dissipate and the army collapses. Seeing what's happening, Manfred orders a hasty retreat. Just He wants to get the fuck out of there. And so he marches his army away as fast as he can and he continues heading west along the Reich trying to regain some manpower. Is that the wrong word? <laughs> some man, um, Manfred power. Body count. He tries to increase his body count, which is not a phrase I thought I'd use in, in, this year. But he <laughs> makes it to Marienburg and steals. He hijacks a load of ships by killing the crew and then reanimating them to operate the boats, which seems a bit redundant, but there we go. <laughs> and so he sails out into the Great Harbour and wants to lay siege to the city proper, the harbour uh, and the boats being moored off from the main city itself. So he begins to lay siege to Marienburg. Is there a proximity effect on the spell that uh, Kurt Surfer dude is saying? Like, the further Manfred gets away from it, does it lose power over his... Yes, because because with the best will in the world, Kurt isn't a necromancer. So while he's able to recite these words, and these words have power, and he he's what in uh, in D and D would be referred to as a cleric. So he has the capacity for magic use, but not the same way as a wizard would have or a mage. He's just here for spring break, dude. He's just here to teach the people. (laughs) I did not ask for this. Situation. <laughs> this was thrust upon me, just as I am thrusting on this parapet. I can hang five. I can even hang ten on a good wave. But, dude, raising the dead? Are you shitting me? <laughs> yeah. Let me just say, this is still the depths of winter. No one's hanging ten. <laughs> the cold has a very deleterious effect on measurements. <laughs> <laughs> it's hanging seven mil. Hanging seven mil. So as he begins to construct all these siege engines, these kind of horrific amalgams of bone and sinew, so you've got, you know, skeleton, what are they called? Siege towers, bone catapults, and other things. This is going nowhere. I've literally got two examples, (laughs) and I went in with such eagerness. What about uh, battering rams? Skeletal battering Battering rams is made of a load of hands flipping them off as they ram into them. (laughs) Zombie trebuchets. These are regular trebuchets that fire zombies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, they're zombies that throw trebuchets. (laughs) (laughs) You often wonder, would that work if you just... (laughs) <laughs> got a load of trebuchets and just fired zombies. Surely you've got an endless supply, or nearly endless. Some of them would still be in one piece that be able to. It would be like, wouldn't it be like a bit of a like a cluster bomb? Because you know, you say you throw zombies. Well, surely the further a zombie gets away from the necromancer that's controlling it, the weaker the control over that zombie becomes. So <laughs> it starts off in its you know, its trajectory as a zombie and about halfway through the the flight, it just dismantles into several pieces and then scatters the area in body parts. 
there's a great Bollywood fantasy movie. I can't remember the goddamn name of it, but uh, this army is laying siege to a, this kind of vast city. And what they do is they get a load of troops together. You know, like the uh, the Roman, the, the turtle or the tortoise. Oh, yeah, yeah, Testudo. yeah, yeah. But they create like a sphere of shields with all these kind of troops inside. And then they just catapult these spheres into the cities and they kind of bounce and break apart. <laughs> and all these kind of uh, amazing warriors land on their feet, ready to go. Amazing. <laughs> but I just thought, do you say that was Bollywood? Yeah, it's a Bollywood movie. Yeah. Brilliant. So they all just broke out into dance when it landed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It was actually, yeah. When I said a, a thing of the, the, a kind of sphere made of shields, it really did look like a, a glitter ball as it <laughs> headed into. That's amazing. <laughs> as Manfred's laying siege to Marienburg, Marienburg, his kind of rear guard inform him that the Empire army from Altdorf, led by the Grand Theogenist on his surfboard between two horses. Is charging straight into really nothing, nothing for that. Grand Theogenist on a surfboard. Ah, oh, Mister. Uh, Damn like, it! Sorry. No. No. Yep. No. Say it again. Try. Say it again. <laughs> this time with feeling. <laughs> <laughs> this time, say it funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I'll certainly give that a go. <laughs> so Manfred gets the idea that there's an army coming towards. <laughs> 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 That's more like it. <laughs> so, yes, he realises that the, the jig is up and the the army from Altdorf ploughs into the back of his forces and ultimately leads to the destruction of about half of his army as he flees to get away, as opposed to fleeing to do other things. <laughs> as he is escaping once again, he is able to destroy more towns and villages and kind of repopulate the ranks of his forces as he's heading back towards Sylvania because he wants to get to a position of strength where he can summon up as many dead as he can um, and be able to defend his uh, not only his home but I suspect at this stage his life. So they stop at a place called Felph. F-E-L-P-H. Felph. What an ugly name. Sorry to anyone named Felf, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the way that name that feels. I don't like the way that name feels. Blah! Can't even say it. <laughs> you, don't like, you don't like the way that name makes you feel inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show me how that makes you feel through the lost art of mime. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> for listeners he just jammed two fingers in his eyes <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's kind of camped out at Felf yeah. I really need a shower after saying this name so many times another empire army the army from Ostermark which if you'll recall is the province north of Sylvania or a province north of Sylvania and it comes down to really put in the, the killing blow uh, to the already weakened undead army. Manfred at this stage has kind of lost his patience. If ever he had patience, well, he must have done because he orchestrated over a couple of hundred years his rise to power. <laughs> but he, <laughs> he, uh, he unleashes some of the darker spells from 
the kind of spellbook of Dar, which enable uh, all kinds of horrific uh, effects, he releases a really dark purple wind, which decimates regiments, entire regiments of the Ostmark army, which he's then able to raise to his side. And we're, we're left with the scene where, again, it's nighttime, these magical effects, which are kind of flashes of black and purple, exploding within the ranks of uh, quite disciplined, but one suspects frightened human troops. And the troops that are affected by the spell wither and die next to their comrades, only then to rise up and try and claw the life out of the living. Um, one can imagine it was a, quite a horrific thing to live through, if, if you know, all jollity aside regarding vampires. So once again, he's able to make off towards Sylvania. He actually gets to Sylvania and then goes out again to um, uh, deal with an empire army twice uh, during this uh, vampire war. But it's not going his way. The kind of willpower of the imperial nobles to finally put paid to the threat from Sylvania, these vampire counts, mean that the elect counts put aside all enmity that they might have for each other and form into a kind of true allied army to go down and put paid. Um, I'm sceptical. We know what happened last time. Yeah, well, yes, that's true. We do know what happened last time, yeah. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Was it Talibheim, Marienburg, and Ben? What was the other one? Come on. Um, Come on. On the hill. On the mountain. The, Middenheim. Oh, um, Middenheim. Middenheim. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't end well. Well, it could have ended worse, but it didn't end that great, did it? Because yeah. Didn't they get a zombie, a zombie emperor? Zombie emperor. You had a zombie emperor for a brief moment, mm. yeah. Everybody take their eyes out. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> I took my out, which was the style at the time, you see. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, one of the times that Manfred heads back out, he puts paid to yet another army, this time from uh, Averland and Stirland, and is able just to, uh, en masse, reanimate the, the bodies from there uh, and become once again a, a kind of powerful or have a powerful army ready to go. Ultimately, as I say, the empire have had enough, the nobility has had enough. They get together en masse and head down and begin to absolutely steamroller through any uh, natural obstacle in an effort to really kill everything within the borders of Sylvania. They go through all of the various haunted woods the ghoul woods, Jesus. the Terry's chocolate orange woods, <laughs> all the other amusingly named woods in the Warhammer world, and uh, clean them out completely. They are systematically destroying every undead force, every undead hold, or you know, winkling them out of every nook and cranny that they find. They're aided in this by the a huge contingent of dwarves that have been sent down by the High King of the Dwarves. If you'll recall, Conrad really destroyed a significant portion of um, uh, Zuthbar's military in that single battle where he went around slaughtering all the rune priests. This was a grudge of epic proportions with, the, with which the High King was able to meet it with as many of his warriors as he could spare 
at the time. You can have as many meat shields as you need. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, Manfred is brought to heel at a place called Hellfen. So we're looking at the the late 2100s, or sorry, mid to late 2100s. Manfred's necromantic powers are at his, you know, at their pinnacle. He's in his own kind of home. He has had access to the various uh, tomes and libraries, and he's practiced almost every day or night, I suspect, as uh, vampires would look at it, to um, raise the dead, to refine his uh, spell casting abilities. And so his he's calling up entire regiments of troops from underneath swamps, from the various kind of mass graves one suspects dot around Sylvania. So it's a, a true sense of horror is permeating the entire land, which is already a repository, a kind of natural uh, resting place for the 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 death wind, um, the wind of Shaish uh, as it uh, blows down from the north. So you have two vast armies facing off against each other, the kind of assembled uh, imperial, well, army, I suppose, is the correct term. The forces of the empire are arrayed from uh, almost every elect account. And in fact, there's one elect account, the elect account of Stirland, who is uh, mounted on a huge griffin. I'm choosing my words very carefully here because obviously the mounted the parapet thing that went in a bad direction and ended up with a fucking surfboarding cleric. But we're moving on. on. I'm not bitter Um, about it at all. Nobody is mounting this griffin. This griffin is out of the question. Do not touch this griffin. Darren, did the griffin consent? (laughs) Can it's an interesting question, Chris. Can griffins consent? Mm. Hard to do with their mm. back legs and mm. your wellies. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask, how tall do you, how tall do you think the Elector Count of Stirland is? <laughs> how big do you think his boots are? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it look I know it looks outrageous, but you've got to remember, he's on stilts. <laughs> oh, will will buggering a griffin ever not be fun? <laughs> <laughs> do griffins have, griffins have um wings? Yeah. Yeah, so you can't take them to a cliff or the edge of a cliff for best effect because they push back. They would just fly away. Ben, just stop. (laughs) You just let you know too much about this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what she said. That's what the Griffin said. That's what it said. (laughs) One suspects you could get some sort of uh, wing bondage kit. (laughs) I'm putting my arms behind my sh- my back here, just trying to work out how, it, how you could manage it. Are you trying to imagine having wings to begin with? Yeah. I wonder, could you use a griffin in the uh, erotic Japanese art of shibari? And I'm not going to explain it. We're just moving on. Uh, the- <laughs> I played a game of shibari last weekend. <laughs> no, you didn't, Chris. Let- I know you think you did, but you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. You did. That's what my uncle told me. Anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> it was in his fun time basement. <laughs> I don't know. I had a blindfold on, so yeah. <laughs> uh, right, come on. What, what the fuck's about? What's this Griffin all about? These two armies are facing off uh, within the kind of uh, an area of swampy ground, but the main marsh is off to one side. 
Vlad is convinced he's going to absolutely decimate them, and and history sort of repeats itself. If you recall, you said Vlad again, Manfred. Manfred, God damn it! Manfred, Manfred, <sighs> Manfred. Say his name three times. Manfred, Manfred, Manfred. Don't. He'll appear. <laughs> Manfred, Manfred, Conrad. Fuck. <laughs> he's appeared. Oh no, that's Marcel. <laughs> <laughs> Marcel, not now. <laughs> no. uh, the <laughs> the undead forces are surging forward. You're looking at vast regiments of dwarf and uh, empire hand gunners uh, with the various types of cannons and organ guns backed up by rune priests and the empire's own kind of sanctioned magic users. Again, we're still quite a few hundred years before the Colleges of Magic are even a thing. So there's an outer perimeter of just splintered, broken, undead bodies and bone fragments. Some are able to get through, but then they're cut down by the kind of knights and the great swords of the Imperial Army, plus the kind of sharpshooters of the handgunner regiments. So... Vlad starts to go through trying to pick off magic users so he can extend his power forward, but he really hasn't factored in how set against him the Empire has become. Their kind of refinement of anti-necromantic magic and technologies have really kind of... The arms race is fairly uh, static. It's an even fight. But the problem is, is that the necromancers and vampires, they're a finite resource. They're solely in charge of the kind of uh, automatons that make up the vast majority of their force. So it's all on them. They have no recourse. They can't swap out if they get fatigued. So they all, over time, begin to get fatigued. And uh, eventually, the undead army breaks. And the, how would you describe it? The uh, very pro-Griffin Count of Sterling (laughs) swoops down and absolutely torpedoes or trombones Manfred. (laughs) He uses his rune fang, which is the great sword, given the one of the 12 great swords given to Sigmar by the dwarves when uh, the dwarves were rescued, when Sigmar rescued the High King. And tears great chunks out of uh, Manfred's body and beats him back and back and back into the swamp. And unfortunately for Manfred, he has been so terribly wounded that he can't really regenerate because he's constantly under attack. The Count of Stirland and his um, uh, romantic partner keep... (laughs) digging their claws and swords into uh, his body. And eventually he sinks into the swamp. He just drops down and slowly kind of glugs into the swamp and thus passes Manfred von Karstein, the vampire count of Sylvania. And thus ends the third vampire war. Wow. Oh, I mean, wow. (laughs) <laughs> Meanwhile, so he was killed. Were all of the other vampire counts within his army killed as well? Uh, some would have escaped, uh, very much like with uh, with Manfred himself. 
and his brothers when Vlad was killed. They all managed to escape. Necromancers would have, you know, used their necromantic wiles to be able to summon up some kind of winged steed or mask the presence. So the head is cut off, but the forces, the kind of the brains, or not the brains, the brains, <laughs> the, the, the kind of powerful, the magic user, the threat really still remains. But that has always been the way with uh, Sylvania. Mm. There's a constant threat of undeath from the forces of uh, the vampire accounts. So that's why you see such a stred- steady stream of witch hunters and oath-sworn knights and uh, knight-errants from Britonia head in there to try and kill, to keep the vampiric overlords under control. Vampire management. <laughs> vampire management. Good name for a company. Mm-hmm. Great band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, you did say Vlad a number of other times, and I didn't flag it, but I'm just acknowledging it now. Oh, no. <laughs> it's fine. So in terms of uh, Vlad von Karstein's... Manfred. Manfred, Manfred von <laughs> It Does Manfred represent the last of kind of that tier of Vlad's vampire children? Are there yes. any more of Vlad's kiddies, vampire kiddies, still in the background waiting for their opportunity to rise and rule and fail, probably? It's not really clear. There are really just five named kind of vampire children of Vlad. Yeah, the von Karstein name still exists. There are other like cousins, if you will, and they they will have in some strangled way a legitimate claim to the throne mm. but really for 300 400 years mm. that put paid to the real uh, kind of threat of the children of Vlad von Karstein there were some obviously necromancers some lower level uh, vampires that came out uh, but it wasn't until you're looking around the year 2,500 and two or three that really you saw a new threat come to the old world from Sylvania. And we will talk about that now. So in the the more present day, so we're talking about less than two decades ago from the kind of what is currently in uh, prior to the release of Warhammer, the old world, current day Warhammer, the current time period, there is a necromancer who was a member of something called the kind of Charnel Congress. Uh, This was a cabal of necromancers, all vying for power, all vying to be the greatest within their peer group. And for some reason, he was exiled. He was kicked out of the group. Imagine what you would have to do to get kicked out of a group of necromancers. <laughs> Maybe have a kid. Save a life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have a loving relationship or something. Have a pet bunny. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to do something to get back at the cabal. He wanted to bring something into you know, the world that he would be able to not only conquer the cabal, but pretty much rule Sylvania if he could. So he found uh, the, a kind of spot that he knew would have power, but also access to kind of worlds beyond, spiritual worlds beyond. 
he brought with him an innocent life described as the stereotypical uh, kind of uh, kind of virgin sacrifice. However, the 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 Charnel Congress, the uh, the cabal that he had uh, been exiled from, became aware of what was happening, and so uh, through various kind of maneuvers, political machinations, they were able to sick a, a, a kind of an adventuring party of. Uh, witch hunters and mercenaries after him to try and stop him from bringing this dreadful thing into the world. And they eventually were able to catch up with him as he was about to kill this uh, young woman uh, and thus with her blood anoint this being. As he was bringing down the knife, he himself was killed by this group, which included the famous duo Gotrick and Felix, Oh, cool. The dwarf and the uh, human adventurer. So this is a dwarf slayer. The unlikely lovers. The un- they're not lovers. Stop it. So you've got a hippogriff on the brain, dude. <laughs> the, <laughs> the dwarf slayer who has kind of um, a, a bargain, an oath, really, with this human uh, writer, Felix, who's able to uh, uh, kind of create his story, document his adventures as he heads towards uh, an honourable death. This is a great success. They're able to stop uh, the sacrifice and they take the woman to a nearby castle. But the blood from Stillman leaks into the ground and leaks into the, the roots of the kind of tree which had bound this being to the earth. Um, and that blood allowed Manfred von Karstein to regenerate Holy shit. and burst up through the ground some 400 years after he had been killed. I'm back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bender. Basically, he they summoned Bender. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Who once again reconquered Drakenhof Castle and has regained his title as Vampire Count of Sylvania. Holy mother. Uh, with an aim to taking over the world once again. Wow. Whew. There we go, lads. That's where we're drawing a veil for this episode. And is there a fourth vampire war? Nope. That was it. That's the end of the vampire wars. Wow. Well, that's okay. it. He was like, look, we've tried three times and failed. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's try something else. Let's try something else. Yeah, exactly. Let's try let's try finance. Let's get into finance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really into griffins all of a sudden. The van- <laughs> Griffin breeding. That's where the money's at. Yeah. I found this new technique using truffles. <laughs> what you do is you bury the griffin under a tree. <laughs> that is a wild night at Black Crag, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I have a question about um, Kurt von Surfboard. Mm-hmm. When he, so the book that he read this thing from was called the Liber, yes, the Liber Mortis. Mortis. Okay. So was that uh, a was that a book written by a necromancer? Because all books are written by necromancers. Uh, not all books are written by necromancers. Uh, necromancers tend to seek out a lot of knowledge, and they tend to, more often than not, uh, what's described, adjust it for their own capacity. So they write their own books of magic. Okay, so so is this one of those? 
Yes, but it's based on not only the works of Nagash, but also the works of Cadon, and uh, then refined by Vlad himself. Yeah, yeah. So the question I have is, why did a book that was written or, you know, used by necromancers have a spell of unbinding in it? Because surely that's not something that a necromancer would want to do, is it? Oh, it's absolutely a thing a necromancer would do. It's very much like uh, encryption, if you can imagine. If you raise an army of undead and you go off to fight another necromancer, they have their own army of undead Ah, or their own forces of undead. And so their way of raising the dead will be tied specifically to them. So it's sort of like the idea of encryption. It's not actual encryption. I'm just using that as an analogy. So being able to override their control is something that you want to do. Also, if you're raising regiments yourself and it goes wrong and you lose control, you want to be able to kill them, for want of a better word, and be able to start again. So is are you saying then that the control that a necromancer has over an undead army is unique to each necromancer and their undead army? Like It's not like if a necromancer used Safety that- word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, armadillo, and everybody just falls down. Right? <laughs> but like you know, is it? It's not that that spell isn't kind of uniformly like anything in this particular area will be unbound, regardless of, of what it is. It can be engineered. Oh, I Do you know what I, I mean? Like I if you're a necromancer and you have an undead army, and then you meet another necromancer and they've got an undead army, and then you're like, "Haha, unbinding spell!" And then all of your are both of your armies just collapse. That's kind of pointless. <laughs> and then they're just like slapping each other like this. <laughs> 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 there are multiple levels of unbinding right. spells so you can uh, take apart one guy or multiple guys the spell that kurt was reading was the great spell of unbinding and that was like that's got you know that's 95% nagash uh, in terms of power and control and the capacity to override other minds that are another animating force. Okay. So that would have had that effect. Like any necromancer with any sort of undead army, that would absolutely, have just yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You definitely want an off button as well because you raise a, an army of undead, you never get a moment's peace. It's like, it's got this bloody, <laughs> I need a poo, guys. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Will you close the door? I, I Whoa, need to. Brains. No toilet paper, <laughs> motherfucker. I want toilet paper. Yeah, mum. <laughs> I was about to say, do you think vampires poo? But you're, it's necromancers. You're talking about necromancers. That's fine. They're still alive. They're still human. Yeah. Do necromancers eat? Yeah, they're still human. Oh, they're still human, right? But but Vlad, um, Manfred von Karstein was a necromancer and a vampire. Is that right? He was a vampire with necromantic capacity. He wasn't a necromancer. Ah, okay. Right. In the strictest sense. He has all the abilities and spells of a necromancer, but is a vampire. Okay. Like you're Irish, but with a Scottish accent, Ben. Um, yep. Okay. (laughs) It was funny, all right? It was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Do it as a limerick. (laughs) Yeah. There was once an Irishman named Ben. 
<laughs> the end. <laughs> so while Chris is brushing up on those, shall I wrap up? Yeah. 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 Do it. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. And we also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. <laughs> Put the mime away, Darren. <laughs> Big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you guys. You cover our costs and allow us more time planning content. If you're not part of this merry band, you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore and sign up today for as little as £3. This will give you access to our Discord server so you can come and chat with us directly and there's an ever-growing pile of exclusive bonus content on there as well. We'll be back again soon displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, goodbye. I want to suck your blood. I got it in there. (laughs) I'm only messing. I love you.